1: It's played, before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time, before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins
0: Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries is a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation, and these guys have been around a very long time. And why do you stick around a long time? It's because you treat your customers the right way, and you provide your customers with a product that works. So if you want to find out more information about Interstate Batteries, their history, their company culture, their devotion to the customer, what you need to do is visit interstatebatteries.com or or stop in to one of their thousands of retail locations all over the United States and talk with a battery specialist today. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable.
2: Gentlemen, welcome to the Michigan Sportsman's Podcast, the number one podcast that covers everything from planting DIY gardens to hunting big mature elk in the great state of Michigan. We will cover strategies, tactics, conservation efforts, and much, much more. I'm your host, James Stevens, so let's get this thing started. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another Michigan Sportsman's Podcast. Today we're going to talk to Levi Potter about hunting turkeys in the afternoon. It's not something that you hear too much about, and for some strange reason, it's totally fascinated me. I guess I've just been raised on you can't kill a bird in the afternoon, so it's cool to be able to sit down with Levi. Levi and I actually spent upwards of 14 hours in a ground blind together on opening weekend, And I got to ask him a ton of questions on how he does this. And I actually got to see his work in person. So he's super knowledgeable. You guys will learn something off of this episode. I guarantee it. So let's just jump right into this thing and learn about killing turkeys in the afternoon. And now I have Levi on the line with me. Levi, how we doing today?
1: Doing great. How are you, James?
2: I'm not too bad. Not too bad. So rumor on the street has it that you and your dad killed a bird. You want to share that story with us? I'd love to. Well,
1: opening day, we have a spot, um, not too far from our house. Um, it is a pretty sizable chunk of, um, a pretty big wood lot with some swamp in it. And on one side, it has a highway and on one side, it's like a mall and like a housing development. So the birds are kind of all landlocked in there. Always a ton of birds in there. Um, and we just um there's some greenfield in that in the timber on the edge of the swamp and there's a cornfield that sits back on um, back off that woodlot and uh we always sit in that cornfield they usually fly down into those greenfields early in the morning and you know do their dance and strut around and then they gradually work their way out to the cornfield in the afternoon to sun and dust and feed and everything else so we don't we don't encroach in there on them just because we don't want to pump them off the roost so we always usually set up in that cornfield and uh, set up our decoys we've got one full strut tom decoy with a live fan on it and then um uh, one hen decoy and um we just pretty much just camp out and wait i mean it's kind of a uh, not your average turkey hunt where you're running and gunning and birds are gobbling and you know everything's really intense. Usually we just kind of sit there and wait because we know they're going to come there at some point.
2: Right. It's just not. And uh, if they show up, it's just when kind of thing.
1: Right. Right. It's 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 yeah. It's a it's it's great. I, I love doing it, but yeah, it's kind of. If yeah, it's not just like you said, it's not if they're gonna show up it's just one because that's one of their only food sources around. So um we right. set up there and um, we had uh we had a little bit of action early in the morning. Um uh we had a Tom come out and didn't have any opportunities. Uh he I don't think he saw our saw our spread and uh him and his hens went back in but uh, about, um, I think it was around 3 o'clock, we had three other toms come out, and they saw our, our um, full strut tom decoy and the hen, and they just all came blazing in. We got the whole thing on video. Um, we normally use our bows, but this year we just, we have a lot of um, things to do this spring, and we just decided to get it done with the gun. So they came in. I ended up getting one, and then I my dad and I switched in the pop-up line and I had the video camera and then he had the gun and was able to connect on the second one before they
2: ended up getting out of there. So very, that was
1: a wrap after that.
2: Very, very cool. So when did you fall in love with turkey hunting? Cause I mean, a little backstory between you and I for the listeners is Levi and I are related in some sort of a way. And it's just ever since I first met you, You were always just drawn to turkeys. I mean, you're a whitetail guy, you're a big coyote guy, but it's just there's something about you with turkeys where you're like you can almost speak their language. When when did you fall in love with these birds?
1: Well, to be honest with you, um, I fell in love with these birds when I was very, very, very young. This was the first animal that my dad introduced me to because my dad has been a long time turkey hunter as well and he couldn't really my dad's a big bow hunter and he couldn't take me bow hunting but he could take me turkey hunting because you know I could get in a blind I could be you know below the windows and I can move around make a little bit of noise without you know everything being alerted in the woods you know so he couldn't take me he couldn't yeah he couldn't take me um deer hunting but turkey hunting was something that him and I always did together and we actually have pictures of him carrying me in a five gallon bucket with him. That's how he transported me. So
2: that's so cool.
1: Yeah. Very young.
2: So, so cool. So, and from what I've gathered and, and uh, was it opening weekend that you and I went together? Was that opening weekend? Yep. Yep. We spent uh, a good, probably 14 hours together that day. And got to know the, I always personally thought that you could really only kill a turkey in the morning, that afternoons were just kind of shot, it didn't work, uh, birds weren't moving or gobbling, whatever else. But spending that much time in the blind with you that day, I did learn a ton because like I've said in previous podcasts, I am not a, uh, expertise in turkey hunting for say when, when did you figure out that afternoon hunting birds was a, was a thing? Cause it's a lot of people to me personally don't really, uh, promote that. I would say, when did you figure out that, Hey, I can kill these birds in the afternoon.
1: Well, that, that actually came with hunting with my dad mostly because before we had that killer spot in that basically Turkey sanctuary, we do have, my dad and I do have quite a few spots and, um, you know, we'd start in the morning on the roost and if we couldn't get it done on the roost, we'd pack up our stuff, go to the next spot and, and call and don't have anything. And you're bound to run into turkeys at some point in one of your spots. I mean, they're turkeys. I mean, they just never stop moving. Usually they're always moving around. They're always doing their thing. And eventually, you know, we'd, sit our spots you know sit up call for an hour you know move to a different you know part of the farm call for an hour and if you kind of like a rutting buck you know if if that time is between hens and and he's you know ready to jive and you get him fired up with a call we've killed birds from 11 o'clock to one o'clock to three o'clock in the afternoon it's just is that time between hens Is, is that hen that he's with all morning is she suddenly not doing what he's wanting to do and and then he moves on to the next one and if you happen to sound you know enticing enough he'll come your way and we've 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 seen that where we've killed birds and we've also seen where times are still hend up so it's just you know you're just you just got to play your cards right you know but at the end of the day if you give up at 10 o'clock and you go home and sit on the couch you're really not going to kill one so you might as well be out there trying and you might get lucky and have one between times and or between hens and and get lucky
2: sure yep yeah you definitely cannot kill them from the couch that's <laughs> definitely something i've learned how many birds do you think you've killed in the afternoon or the evening compared to you know first morning or early morning right off the roost
1: mm. Mm-hmm. I I would say well I'm I'm twenty five years old and I've killed a bird every year since I was twelve and I would say a good half
2: of those I've killed in the afternoon. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, just like we've talked about in the in the blind that Sunday is, you know, I was I taught was taught so much and I just still can't get over that number that you know, half of your birds are in the afternoon. And it's just to me it's just portrayed in the in the media and everything that you kill birds in the morning. You know, and a lot of guys that I've talked to that I used to work with and work with now they're pretty much like, Yep, if you don't kill a bird or see a bird by nine AM, that's pretty much done. It's over. And it's just it's crazy to me the to hear you and your dad both have killed tons of gobblers in the afternoon
1: but also i would i would have to say i've killed half my birds in the afternoon but i would say half of those birds that i've killed in the afternoon if you take those birds in half half of those i've called the other half of those i've either spotted and stalked or been um been between them and their roost like not calling them but just knowing their travel route from where they're feeding at with all their hens and knowing where they're going to roost and knowing which, you know, they follow deer runs, they follow two tracks, they follow little grassy green strips. They follow, you know, if you, if you scout them enough and you know, okay, they like to feed out here in this cornfield at four o'clock and then they're going to gradually make their way down this two track that they've taken a ton to their roost, then Usually because if they're educated, then I will set myself up between and not even call, or I'll either just spot and stalk them and, you know, get on a fence roll. And then hopefully he gets in within 40 yards between me and his roost. Or if he's out in the field and he goes, and I know where he's going to roost, I will just set myself up in between them and hopes that he, you know, gets within, you know, 35 or 30 yards of, you know, you know, my effective range to where he basically cutting them off that's that's how I kill a lot also I'll kill a lot of my birds yes you can call them in the afternoon and I've done it and I've killed you know quite a few but also I throw all the calls and the decoys out and just try to get and cut them off before they're roosed.
2: right so so would you say like in the morning the birds fly down they're kind of hend up Uh, really not responding to your calls or not interested in your calls, not coming into the decoy set. But later in the evening, you know, the Toms kind of venture off. They've already bred that hen, and, you know, she's just kind of old news. Have you noticed a time shift about what time that happens? You know, like is there a a magic number for you, maybe late morning, early afternoon, where you're like, yep, this is the time. Is there is there a, not a specific time, but somewhere in that general bar park ballpark, like maybe you know noon to one? Is that where you really notice these birds starting to become more active and leaving the hens that they're with?
1: Yes, I would say between noon and one.
2: Okay. And how many how many birds do you think you've killed between noon and two in your career? Um, I would say at least five or six. That's incredible. That's so cool. I I mean, I could really talk about this all day long. What are, what are your, how do you locate these birds in the middle of the day? You know, you can't just really, I mean, you can willy-nilly out into the woods, but do you have a shot gobble sequence that you use or do you just, what's your, how do you approach that? How do you find, if you were to find a bird in the afternoon, how would you go about that?
1: It's kind of, uh, they. I don't even know if they make them anymore, really, but my dad guards it with his wife. But um, a lot a lot of people have like an owl hooter or they have a crow call or, you know, a goose call or whatever. But we have a what, screaming peacock call, locator call, which is what the Drury's used to use back in the day, and they still might use them. We have literally gone out to a farm at, I would say, 1130, walked up to the, you know, the side of the wood, you know, the field edge or whatever, where we know that they're in there, blown that screaming peacock call and had them gobble. Really? You know, geese can fly over, crows can fly over. Yeah, there's not a lot of squawking peacocks walking around out in the field, but that call has located more birds I can... Definitely say than a crow call or, or an owl call for us. We, that that call that I don't know what it is. That high pitched, long drawn out screaming peacock is lights out on on locating turkeys in the morning and even during the day. I don't know what it is. It's just the frequency of it tears them up. And the and the juries, you used to use them a lot, and they still might. I haven't watched a Drury, um turkey video in quite some time, but. That used to be the thing back in the day, and that's when my dad got it. And he, yeah, we guard that thing with our lives.
2: <laughs> wow, I never heard that before. I've always been just accustomed to the the crow call or the owl call or or any random random noise. I know a a guy that I hunt with. I actually hunted his property. His name is Moreland, and uh, he, one morning, this was a few years ago, he let out a crow call first thing in the morning. We didn't get any gobbles, but I don't know what he said in that crow call, but we had probably 12 to 20 crows follow us until probably 9 o'clock in the morning. It was, and just all they were doing was just cackling and and crying. It was, it was miserable to listen to those all day long. That's nuts. So, so would you, have you ever still hunted A turkey no no would you recommend maybe would you recommend maybe a, a beginner hunter you know if they're just kind of on a whim and they're like you know i want to cover a lot of ground but i don't have the time to do it would that be a would you think that would be a solid strategy for somebody
1: um not not still hunting like you would you know deer hunt still hunt where you just like move down a trail ever so, you know, gradually trying to pick one off. If if you want to, you know, to me turkey still hunting would be if you know your if you know your property and you know where they generally like to hang out, I would go set up and just set up and call for an hour and if nothing happens or you can't or you're not seeing them, nothing's moved through, then just pick up, move, you know, set make your, up your location again. But you want to be hidden because Turkeys have the most unbelievable eyesight that I have ever seen. I've been, you know, tucked up against a tree way bigger than myself. And just, I mean, almost like your eyes blinking will set off that time. he will go from full strut to putting and he's out of there. And you, and, and you swear you didn't move at all, but just your eyes blinking. So I personally would just set up up against a tree, you know, make my um, presence known, call, and then if there nothing's happened, then move to a different section of the farm, and then you know call again. I would not like go up to a property and just gradually move through the whole thing because they're gonna pick you off. I mean and they're gonna be out of there.
2: Right. So what's your what's your midday decoys set up look like compared to maybe right off the roost? You know you you set up for the, the them to fly down off the roost and. That doesn't work for whatever reason. You're not hearing nothing, and then you pack up camp and move to the other side of the farm. And it's now, we'll say, 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Is that the same setup decoy setup? And if it is, what is that setup? Or if you change it, how do you go about changing it?
1: Um, me personally, and it's it's kind of hard for me to to say because I've been so successful in that spot, but seven years because i haven't i haven't run and you know run and gun that much other than here and there with you know you or one of my other buddies so i'm kind of figuring it out right now a little bit but um i think it has to do with pressure you know how how what have these birds seen thus far in in the year like i know when when you and i went that was still opening weekend i used the full strut time in the hen but and Cause that to me, I don't think that the birds were that pressured yet just because we were day two into the season. They haven't probably seen that many um, decoy setups yet, but like this past weekend when I went with one of my other buddies, I pulled that full strutter because it seems to me. And if you look online and you look on and you talk to your buddies, everybody has one of those full strutter decoys now. I mean, those are a popular thing because opening morning, usually they will charge into those, but you get into the second week, third week, fourth week of season, I think that those full strut time decoys, the, the birds become a little bit wary of them. So I personally now, like, you know, we're two weeks into the season, you know, I only use, I'm only trying to use either my hand decoy or no decoys and just trying to um get them to come in just to see the hen, because I really, I really, really think that those, after the first initial weekend, those full strut tom decoys, they just, a lot of birds get killed over there, over those, and they just, they get wary of them.
2: Do you think it's, they see that and they think, you know, they assume just danger, or do you think as later in the year, or later as the season goes by, that, you know, maybe that tom has approached another strutting tom? but it wasn't a decoy and he got his ass kicked. Do you think that has a play in it? You know, later in the year is these, these more mature Toms that come into decoy sets and they eventually get shot. You know, the ones that do make it, they see that decoy set and think, or I'm sorry, the ones that do come into a a real life set and then they get their, their butt beat by a Tom. Do you think that has any play into it? You know, maybe later in the season, like, Hey, I walked up to something like that a few days ago and you know, I got I got it handed to me. Do you think that has a and it has any play in it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, cuz right now those times are with their hands and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but when one time goes up against another time, it is ugly. I mean, they are they take those spurs and they take their beaks and they they beat the crap out of each other. So, I think for Another time, if he is between hands and he comes into your spread, you know, and sees your setup, you know, they are, it just seems like after opening weekend, they're very wary of those um, full strut decoys. I don't know if it's just because, like you had just said, that they get their butt kicked or they see their buddy get shot and they somehow make it out of there. I just think that they're thinking no good can come from me going over there to check that thing out.
2: (laughs) Right. How does because where I'm at down here and you and you've you've seen my property that I hunt and it is flat. I mean, we might have a three foot elevation in the entire entire square area there. Do you think terrain plays any difference in how turkeys react to maybe calls or or how they go throughout their day?
1: Yes, because I have had I've had. Uh, I've had it before where I've been setting up and I'm on a hill and what I have my, my full strut Tom out there, the hill drops down on one side and then it's flat on the other. So I've had birds come in on the flat side where they can see that Tom and come in and get shot. I've also had toms come up the back side of that hill and they don't like it at all because it like, it, it's almost like they can't see what's going on and then all of a sudden they get to the top of the hill and boom, there's a live turkey, full strut right there, and it's like it surprises them and it makes them nervous, and they usually go, go the other direction. But if they come in on the flat side and they have a chance to see him, you know, and figure out his posture and you know whatever else they're trying to figure out, they'll kind of gradually work in as they kind of feel him out. But if they come straight up the hill and then all of a sudden they meet face to face with another full, you know, full strut tom, they don't like it. They makes them nervous, and they end up going away. That's what I have seen. So, yes, the hills do make a difference with how you set up and, and how they come in and how they react. We always want them to come in on the flat side, not just come up the steep side and meet another turkey head-to-head. They don't like that. Sure.
2: Okay. And let's just say it's late season. You haven't punched your tag yet. You're hunting all by yourself. No pressure from anybody else, you know, like myself, not not killing a bird yet. You haven't killed a bird. You've struck out on every single set that you've done. Nothing seems to be working for you. You're at your last little bit of wits. Tomorrow is supposed to be a beautiful, beautiful morning. Tomorrow's going to be Saturday morning. What are you doing tomorrow?
1: going to family fair and buying one <laughs> no no um i would man that's tough um well i know it's this tough right now man if they if they if they're hand up or if they're call shy it's almost like if it's almost like if you can if you can do your scouting um and you know where that bird's going to be, like if he's going to fly down, hang out in this green field, or he's going to fly down and hang out in this cornfield, I personally would almost go out there, set up in the field where I know where he wants to be, and just sit there and wait. Decoys, no calling, no nothing, just just trying to cut him off. Because if he sees your decoys, he might be leery and go the other way. Or if he hears you calling and he already has hens, he might go the other way, but if he if he doesn't hear hear you calling or doesn't see your setup and he's just going to where he normally goes, then you got him. It's just kind of like waiting for a big buck in a food plot. You know, you're if if he's going there already, you're not gonna throw a big buck dec- or a decoy out there because right. he, he's not used to that. So that might throw him off. Or you if you know that big buck's going into that food plot, you're not gonna try calling him out of his bedding area. You know, you just. Just sit there. You know he's going to be there. Just sit there. Try to be as patient as you can. Usually, and I I know it's – I hate to say this, but as later you get into the season, your patience actually has to go along with you because it's not, you know, run and gun, fired up, Tom's goblin like it is opening weekend, like when they're not educated. They get educated quick. So, really, if if it was me – and I didn't have my tag punched yet, I would go to where I know that bird's going to go and just wait.
2: Well, I can definitely tell you that I can agree with the patience factor because <laughs> I am, uh, as we've talked, you know, offline. Yeah. I'm, I'm at my end of my patience for sure. So you, you keep bringing up calling, um, and I think that's something we definitely need to cover. So let's, let's turn it back full circle. It's, you know, maybe opening week, weekend, or opening day. We're, we're, in, we're in the season, you know, maybe three or four days. What's your call sequence look like in the morning? And then it, it, does it switch in the afternoon? And if it does, at what time of the day does that call sequence kind of change?
1: Usually in the morning, if I've got one roosted and, you know, if I have my hen clay out or if I don't have my hen clay out, usually, and I, I'm I'm right with the worst of them, but I love to hear Tom's gobble. Who doesn't love to hear Tom's gobble? But
2: That might be half first of thing why we, all – that's that's why we do this. I would say at least half. Yes,
1: ab- absolutely. But um, in the morning – I will. I have. I usually use my slate call in early in the morning. If he's on, a, if he's, you know, in his roost, I will just do some soft purrs and a, a few clucks and maybe just one or two yelps. And then if he answers me and he knows where I'm at, I will put that call in my backpack and zip it up and dang near lock it because. If you just sit there and yelp and yelp and yelp and he gobbles and he yelps and he gobbles and he yelps and he gobbles, I've seen more times than not, he'll fly down and go the other way. Even if it's like, dude, you just, you just gobbled at me 15 times. You know I'm over here. But if you play the hard-to-get hard game and you just purr and, and maybe um, yelp once and then don't do anything else and, and, he, and he gobbles to that, he'll come and check you out. I don't know why, but if you sit there and just make him gobble, make him gobble, make him gobble, he'll he'll go the other way. But so it, early in the morning, I usually just do. Basically, I let that time know where I'm at. I give him one sequence. Boom! He knows where I'm at. If he flies down and goes the other way, he might go the other way. Check out his hen. But he remembers that that other hen is over there. So I try to not overcall. Even though we all love to hear Tom's gobble, I I really try to just give him one yelp. He knows where I'm at. Boom! He comes my way. That's in the morning.
2: Okay, and so now now yeah, in the afternoon. Does it change? And if it does, what what changes?
1: You know, I've had it to where usually in the afternoon is when I like I said I'm I'm setting up. I, I call for an hour move to a different location on the farm, call for an hour. Um, And this just might be because um, usually I'll start off with my slate call because I can make it – Because if I'm setting up in the afternoon, I don't know where those turkeys are. They could be 100 yards away from me. They could be 500 yards away from me. But usually in the afternoon I try to do some soft purrs and some clucks and maybe a yelp on my slate call, but very softly because I can make that tone pretty soft on my slate call. And if I sit there for 20 minutes to a half hour with nothing, then I'll get my box call out because my box call is a little bit higher pitched and it can go through, go through the the woods a little bit better and I can reach further into the, into the woods. So I always start with my slate in the afternoon and then I'll gradually, if nothing's close to me, then I can reach further out there with my box call. So that's, that's what I do. That's what I do. And I've had that work out pretty well for me in the afternoons just because, you know, if you set up, you know, and and there there happens to be a tom and a hen, you know, seventy five yards away from from you, and then you rip on the box call and make it, and it's loud, they might get bookered and and get out of there. But if they're,
2: you know, way
1: in there, a couple hundred yards, and they hear that faint, high pitched yelp
2: from a box call, then they might
1: be more eager to check it out.
2: Right. Okay. And as a as a beginner. And I could say that as, you know, me being myself, what, what's your suggestions on, you know, maybe first time calls for a person to buy, you know, what's kind of the tried and true. It's really kind of hard to mess this up type call. What, what would you, what would you recommend for a beginner to buy as a call?
1: Um, I personally think that
2: a box tall is a little
1: bit easier to sound good on. Um, and you don't have to um, buy all the different sticks and all this other stuff and sand it all the time. You just, it's fairly easy. You can practice with it and, and sound pretty good at just a box tall. Um, that's what I would get for beginners is just a box tall. Um, and you can YouTube how to, how to, you know, make different noises and do different things. But, the slate call is a little bit harder to um, get get right, um, but it it still isn't isn't super hard. I mean, you just gotta you just gotta practice and and practice and and watch you know other people do it, and you'll get you'll get good enough to call a turkey in fairly quickly. But um, one thing that I can't even do is use is use a, a diaphragm call. I don't know if you know my retainers as a kid screwed my mouth up or what, but I cannot get one of those diaphragms in there and to sound right and plus I I don't like using them anyways but um well I they sound see. great. I mean I wish I could because yeah. that's a hand free call. Yeah, that's, that's what I really want, you know.
2: That's the benefit that I see to them also is you know you could be sitting at the base of the tree, face mask on, not moving and you could talk to that bird the entire time, but same with me, I can't use them. I've tried and I just must have a really bad gag reflex because once those things get soggy, I just I can't do it. It's it's super bad. I know I
1: can't.
2: I can't either. I can't. I don't know why they make me
1: gag gag too. I, I don't know why. I, and I have a a weird phobia of choking on one too. I don't I don't know. I just I throw all of them out. I, I just use slate and
2: box. Yep. So. I just recently got my hands on a slate call and you know, the box call I wasn't totally comfortable with, but have you, have you ever heard of somebody being kind of more comfortable? I know you said earlier that the, the box call was kind of the go-to for a beginner, but have you ever heard of somebody being just kind of more naturally comfortable and sounding better on a slate call than they were a box call?
1: Um, it all just depends on the person, I guess. I mean, it, they're yeah they're they're both fairly easy to use and I I'm sure that like you said that you got one and I'm sure that you know if you watch a couple of videos and you you can figure it out fairly fairly quickly
2: right yeah because well Aaron Moreland, he had one this entire time and I didn't know about it and he told me and I'm like well let me borrow that thing so I borrowed it and and uh, me and another buddy of mine named Pat we went out. And for some reason, I just it felt comfortable in the hand and everything. I just felt like I really couldn't mess up the call. You know, when you get that box call going, you kind of get that random, like that. What you didn't want, yeah. you know what I mean? With the slate call, for some reason, I just I never had that. Everything that came from that slate call just sounded really, 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 really good. And it could have been really, really good, or it's still just as bad. I just thought it sounded good. I don't know. So what, what slate call do you own or what would you recommend for somebody to, to purchase?
1: Um, I personally have um, one of the bone collector um, slate calls. I actually just got that this year um, just because uh, I wanted my own and I didn't want to use my dad's anymore. Um, My dad, I think has Primo's one. His, mine is um oh shoot it's not glass it's the uh sort metal is it ceramic uh, yeah nope it's uh i don't know the where i strike it is is metal it it's not it's not glass but oh, okay
2: uh,
1: um yeah so that's what i have i like those ones better i feel like they're easier to scratch up um the the metal ones um my dad's last one just feels like it gets I mean it sounds really, really good. Um, but if you after you yelp on it a couple of times it just feels like it gets gummed up right away and you have to keep sanding that, keep sanding it, keep sanding it for it to sound good. But mine it seems to last a lot longer and sound just as good. But um my dad had a mad one that the jury's um put out before he had his Primos one and that one was my favorite one, but we literally had that thing for so long we sanded it so much that it it just we sanded it right down to nothing so we couldn't use it anymore but
2: wow and i'm sure they don't make that call anymore do they i don't think so no that's that's par for the course there
1: yep they don't make good good stuff anymore
2: nope nope it's just i've had that argument about uh taco bell's chicken flatbread sandwiches but that's for another story um (laughs) what uh what did we miss? What 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 else do you want to cover as, you know, maybe maybe a first-time listener is, is listening to this and they really want to get into this cuz we are in this pandemic and this quarantine and they just kind of were like, "You know what? I want to think about turkey hunting and stumble upon this podcast." What what would you tell that that first-time turkey hunter?
1: Um what I would say is if you know generally where those birds are roosted do not push in on them too much if you know where they're going and you know where they're roosted just try to cut them off and set up your decoys um, or just just cut them off to know where they're going but a lot of times I have buddies that they'll know where the birds are roosted and then they try to get 50 yards away from where they're roosted they're like yep I know where they're at he's gobbling right over there they bust right in there try to set up and this time of year and them them toms can and just turkeys in general, but they can hear so well. And right now, yeah, the foliage is starting right now, but the leaves aren't all out yet. So when that tom is up in that tree, he can hear through that woods more than what you than what you think. And you're setting up decoys, racking your shotgun, popping up a ground blind. If you're, if you're less than 100 yards away from that bird that's roosted in that tree, he can hear you. Because there's no foliage in the tree. It's basically that sound is going right up to that bird. And a lot of times they fly down and go, well, he flew down and went the other way. Yeah, he flew down and went the other way. Well, yeah, because he heard you go in there. You're breaking brush. You don't sound like a deer. You know, I would just get between where he is and where you know he's going and get in there. In a way that you know that you will not bump him off that ruse don't let him see you don't let him hear you just let him do his natural thing because a lot of a lot of my own buddies they go into the woods get everything set up they fly down they go the other way it's like yeah because you're you're getting right in on him and i just just try to get out in front of them to where because you got a better better chance that you know being between him and where he wants to go and getting him then you trying to get as close as you can and, and potentially bumping them
2: yeah i i definitely i've heard um and some of the things that i've read that if you set up and you can see them in the tree you're too close that's what i've heard would yeah, you agree exactly. with that
1: absolutely absolutely
2: all right well is there anything else we missed maybe hunting turkeys in the afternoon that you'd like to cover
1: Um, you know, hunting turkeys in the afternoon can be one of the most thrilling things ever. And my, one, of, some of my favorite turkey hunts are me by myself and I, you know, pull up to a farm and they're out in the field and maybe you have a ditch line or you have a fence row where, you know, they're hanging out in that corner. You know, a lot of guys t- and today, they, they like to, being a blind and, and, and me, me too, you know, I like being a blind, get things on video and, you know, whatever, be with my buddies. But some of my most fondest turkey hunts are me army crawling through a field, through a ditch line, getting soaking wet, working my tail off, trying to get, you know, be undetected. You know, I, I've literally crawled, army crawled for three or 400 yards through a ditch line and then pop up through a fence row and shot a bird at 25, 30 yards. Those ones are, are almost more rewarding to me than having them come into the decoys. Because when you get four or five turkeys out in the field and you know you got ten you know five sets of eyes and you army crawl all the way out there and you get that gobbler and you beat all those birds, that is like the most rewarding feeling ever. So what I would say is, you know we're or halfway through the season. Um, times are really hard to call right now. If you see a Tom out in a field and you have permission, obviously, don't be scared to you know really work hard and and army crawl through that field to get that bird because it is possible. I mean, if you play your cards right and you know the terrain and you know where you're not going to be seen and you can get there, try it. I mean, you got. I mean, if you if he sees you crawling through a field, I mean, he's not going to, you know which counties I mean he might bump into the woods and go what the heck was that but I mean I've had it work multiple times spotting stalking army crawling getting in close on birds and those ones are some of the most rewarding ones because if you can sneak up on four or five turkeys and get one there's really something to be said about you know about your skill level and that's and that's what I love to do is you know constantly try to prove to yourself that you can be out there and, and get it done
2: absolutely so when it's all said and done you uh you were successful let's just say on this this spot and stock, you get the opportunity to to let bb's fly you put one on the ground you take it home what's your favorite or first meal you cook out of the off of that bird well um i actually just uh just found out about it i think
1: two two springs though, maybe even last spring. My, my dad, when I, when I lived at home and he was the, the always, you know, the crock pot guy, you know, oh, yeah. the, bird, the birds, we'd get the breasts to put them in there, crock pot, you know, that was great. And, and they there, and they are great that way. However, I, uh, I was watching, um everybody knows meat eater. Yep. And I, I watched an episode of that and he makes um, what's called Turkey schnitzel. And, Basically you flay the breasts out, you flay the breasts into like one inch cubes or one inch strips and then you put them on like between two solid surfaces and then beat the snot out of them. until they're like almost paper thin where you can see through them. You put them in egg and, um, egg and milk and then Panko, I think it's called Panko breadcrumbs and then you fry them. Oh my gosh. That is my wife and I, one of our favorite meals now. She and I love that meal because when you beat the snot out of that breast, it tenderizes it, and then who doesn't, like, fried things? I mean, it's right. just absolutely, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That's my favorite go-to recipe for turkeys is, is that what they – I mean, it's on their, their website, too, meat eater's website, but it's called turkey schnitzel, and it is well worth trying. It's amazing.
2: Very, very cool. Well, I think we've covered most of uh, most of anything hunting turkeys in the afternoon. So thanks, Levi. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I know I did. I learned, I learned something off of every episode. So this is super cool for me to do, and I get to share it with all of you guys and gals. So if you could do me a favor and go to my social media pages and give them a like or a follow, Uh, that would be totally awesome and even on this podcast if you could give it a like or not a like a rating or review that would be super super cool too so i thanks for sticking in there with me guys i like I, i can't thank you enough so until next week get outside go do something this covid stuff has has impacted all of us But we as a society, I think, are doing a phenomenal job. So stay tuned.